0: All right, well, we are already on week two of our vision series. Uh, Pastor Larry started us off last week because I was over in Morgan Park. And uh, uh, he did a great job, so thank you, Pastor Larry. I was there Saturday night for church and listened to Pastor Larry, and I noticed he made everybody do the hand motions. And I was very impressed with that because I like to make people do the hand motions with the vision statement uh, for one very important reason, and that is this, that if Christians can work together, not even the gates of hell will prevail. However, if we can't work together, we're done. We're sunk. It's a mess. And so if we can work together on very simple things like doing hand motions, perhaps God will allow us to do something more significant like fund an orphanage or plant a church or who knows what. If we can do hand motions, maybe we can do other things that are powerful for the kingdom of God. So let's be faithful in the little things and do something completely irrelevant that's pretty much meaningless, but that shows that we can work together. All right? So here are the hand motions for reach up, rise up, reach out. First one is reach up, just like this. And when we do this, I'm picturing a two-year-old getting picked up by their dad. You know what I mean? Like you're doing that. Reach up. And then rise up and reach out. Now we're picking the two-year-old up and that's that's what this church is all about. Connecting with God, either initially, you know, giving our lives to Christ for the first time, pledging our trust in God and our our service to God, and then getting better at this thing because there's nothing more frustrating than being a Christian who's bad at being a Christian. And then let's go make a difference because that's, We're here to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. So, last time again, Pastor Larry, with Reach Up, a real relationship with the living God is available to you. Don't let that opportunity go by. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day when God forgives sins and will take us up into his arms. Today, part two, Rise up. So let's pray. We'll talk about getting better at this thing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, that you guide us by your Holy Spirit and you guide us by your word. We're not left here to just figure it out, but you guide us. And so we ask you to guide us and give us wisdom this morning. Lord, as each one of us is dealing with different things and we need Uh, just a different touch from you. I pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would give each one of us exactly what we need, Lord, to be able to believe in you better, to take a step forward in serving you better, just to be able to move forward and rise up in our calling. So Lord, bless us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Rise up. This is a big emphasis here at Good Hope. Let's get better at following Jesus. The life of the incompetent Christian is frustrating, ineffective, and often becomes an embarrassment to God. Amen? Did you know you can be a Christian, but be really, really bad at it? Have you met someone who's a Christian, but who's really, really bad at it? Yeah, we don't want to be like that. It's frustrating for the person who's bad at being a Christian, and it doesn't help the kingdom of God. It's a mess. Those are, it's just a big, big problem. However, the wise Christian leads a life of satisfaction, purpose, and draws people into faith in God. So we need to get good at being followers of Christ. That means we need to get good at things like loving people. We need to get good at things like forgiving people. We need to get good at things like walking by faith. We need to get good at having grace. We need to get good at the core fundamental things of the faith. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. It's about getting better at following Jesus. Amen? Let's get good at it. It's not about enjoying a church service. Now, I hope you have a great time today at church. I hope it's fantastic. I hope it's meaningful and fun. I hope we laugh. I hope some people cry, just the right people. I hope that we have a great time at church. But it isn't about evaluating church services and finding yourself in the church service that you think scores the highest. That's not what your faith is about. Your faith is about following Jesus, walking in the ways of God. It's also... Not about finding new friends. I hope you find a ton of friends at Good Hope. I hope you find people that you can share the deepest things with and that they're full of faith and speak life over you. I hope that happens for you. But it's about following Jesus. It's not about finding new friends. It's not about doing what you like to do, like playing the guitar or you know, whatever type of service. I hope you are able to serve in your giftings fruitfully and wonderfully. But it's not about getting to do what you like to do. It's about following Jesus. Now I believe that time is short. And that by what, by that, what I mean is <clears throat> it could be the end of the age. Anytime this it's not a sustainable reality that we're in. You think we've got 500 years left with uh, North Korea developing nukes? <laughs> you think we've got 500 more years on this planet? The way it is? How many do we have? I don't, here's the deal. The time is short. I don't know the, the day or the hour, but I know it's time to be ready. And I also know that believers are called to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Time is short and believers are called to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I heard that still 42% of the world is unreached in any reasonable, tangible way with the gospel. 42%. There's billions of people that need to hear the gospel. And I believe the single most powerful strategy for accomplishing the goal of reaching the world with the gospel is simply helping Christians get better at following Christ. I think that is the single most significant and important strategy in reaching the world with the gospel is helping Christians get better at following Christ. If we are good at following Christ it will just work. If we're bad at following Christ, it won't work. So we need to get better at things like loving God and loving people. Amen? We must be good at loving God. That's the most important commandment. Love God. Don't think God is real. Love God. We've got to learn to love people. That's the second most important thing. We have to be good at that. We have to be good at walking by faith. We need to get better at true forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a challenge, amen? But is it core to the fundamental teachings of Christ? The cross itself is a cross of forgiveness. It's a cross of redemption, which is a step higher than forgiveness. Redemption is when you pay the price. So like if somebody back talks about me and spreads lies, and so now if I were to redeem that, I'd have to pay them a $1,000 to forgive them. That's redemption. You have to pay the price. Jesus paid the price. We need to be good at forgiveness. If we're good at that, the gospel will spread. If we're bad at that, it's not going to work. Uh, a friend of mine, a pastor named Doug Vogley, he says it this way. He says, healthy things grow. If you have a tree and it's healthy, you don't have to tell it to grow. It's just going to grow. This summer, with all the rain we've got, the lawn just grows, right? You don't have to go out there and give it a motivational speech. Come on, lawn. Go ahead and grow, you know. Even if you told it not to, you'd still have to mow because it just is going to grow. It's healthy. It's got all it needs, and it grows. And the church is like that. When the church is healthy, it grows. When the believers are healthy in their faith, the church grows. And so we want to be healthy and strong and grow. We're going to read a passage from Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. This is Acts chapter 2, kind of the birth of the New Testament church. On the day of Pentecost, a great miracle happens in the 120 believers who are in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and they are able to proclaim the wonders of God in all the languages of the people who are gathered there in Jerusalem, for the the uh, celebration of Pentecost. And so all these people are hearing the wonders of God in their languages. And it's an incredible miracle. And Peter steps up, the one who seven weeks ago was running away in fear of his life. Now he's emboldened by seeing the resurrected Christ and knowing that death has been conquered. And he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to the same people that he ran away from seven weeks ago. And he gives a rousing message. And the people are, are told that they have crucified the Lord in Christ and that it, that they shouldn't have done that, that that was, that was a bad thing. And they've come to realize what's really going on. And that's where we pick it up. Acts two thirty seven. when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is the goal of every preacher is to get people to the place where they say, okay, I'm not going to resist this anymore. I'm not going to push away from God. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold back. What do you want me to do? That happened back then. They were ready. What shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Turn away from your unbelief. Turn away from your godlessness. Turn away from that and turn to God. Turn to the God that loves you. Turn to the God that wants to pick you up. Turn to God. Be baptized. That's talking about water baptism. And you'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is As inclusive as is possible. Peter is saying, now we're here, we're having a great time, but this promise, it's for you, it's for the next generations. It's for people who aren't even here. It's for everybody. This promise of forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit is for absolutely everyone. The New Testament church is born. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So they went from 120 to 3,120. This was a good day. The church is born. They went from a, a group of believers to a mega church in, in one day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Let's look at this verse for a little while. So now, Uh, 3,000 people come in. It's all brand new. What do they spend their time doing? There's four things listed here. I'm sure they were doing other things as well. Four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, to the truth of God, the word of God, the holy scriptures. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. They were speaking it to them. They listened to the apostles' teaching. That's the holy scriptures, the Bible. So they devoted themselves to the truth of God through the apostles teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's to the church, the, to the big group of believers. They devoted themselves to each other that way to the big group. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This is close connection, small group in people's homes. This is, this is connecting with people, breaking bread together and to prayer. So they prayed to God. So they devoted themselves, in our context, to the scriptures, to big group church things, to small group church things, and to prayer. One of the significant things that's missing in this list, now I'm sure people shared the gospel and that sort of thing. It just happened naturally. But they didn't have big tent revivals. Advertising didn't make the list. Marketing didn't make the list. Big evangelistic efforts didn't make the list. It was the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. But it was a healthy environment. God was moving, and the people were loving the Lord. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. They were praying. All the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as had need. They loved each other materially as well as in their hearts. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So they're having revival meetings every day in the temple courts, in the big group meeting. They're meeting every day in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they're spending time together outside of the big group meeting, getting to know people, have glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day people were coming to Christ. Every day people were getting saved because it was a special time. It was healthy. Everything was working. They didn't have to go try to convince people. People just saw it happening and wanted to be part of it. Healthy things grow. There was nothing there. There wasn't the big persecution hadn't broke out yet. The difficulties weren't there. The people thought they were great and people were coming in. Healthy things grow. For us to participate in what was going on in Acts chapter 2, if we are a healthy body of believers that are devoted to the truths of God, devoted to the big plan of God through the church, devoted to each other in close relationships, and devoted to prayer, then we'll be an attractive force. The power of God will be here, and if we can rise up into that, we will reach people without even having to try because healthy things grow. Now we're going to go ahead and have evangelistic efforts and all that sort of thing. We're going to do that too. Uh, It's not that this is saying don't do that, obviously. It's just saying that in this particular situation, they were just loving God and it just brought people in because it was such a great environment to be in. Healthy things grow. Today, I want to focus on a particular word. And that word is the word worthy. Worthy. We know that God is worthy. But the word worthy is used in more ways than that in the scriptures. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at three different passages. All in the epistles of the Apostle Paul. So letters that Paul wrote to various churches. So This is a message to the Christian church. We're going to start with Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, so Paul's in jail for his faith. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. This is a broad concept. Um, It isn't super specific. Some specifics will be mentioned here in just a minute but Pastor Vicky has a rule in kids' church that we adopted into youth group, and that rule is this. You know better than that. You know better than that. You don't have to spell out every detail of every rule. Sometimes somebody's doing something and you can just say, hey, you know better than that. This is one of those things. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the calling? Be worthy of the calling. Live a life worthy of the calling. Well, before we go uh, any further, what does this life worthy look like? Now, how you view God is going to affect how you view living a life worthy of the call. I believe God is good, and that this is talking about living abundant life. This is talking about living life to the full. This is talking about living a life worthy of the calling, is living a life of love, a life of grace, a life of devotion, a life of generosity, a life of service, a life of blessing, a life of purpose, a life of joy. This is a life worthy of the calling. So let's get a few specifics from the next couple of verses here. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Completely humble and gentle. This is worthy of the calling. Not pushing people around. Humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. So, be patient. Amen. Bear with one another in love. We know we're supposed to love one another. There's a secondary truth behind the way this is phrased. Bearing with one another. What Do you have to bear with someone who's perfect? No, the assumption here is that you're going to be interacting with imperfect people. You're going to be interacting with people who rub you the wrong way. Inside the church, you're going to be interacting with people who make mistakes. We are to bear with one another. In love. Bear with. This is a life worthy of the calling. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Stick together. Devote yourself to the fellowship. Devote yourself to the things of God. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. We continue along this theme of looking at the word Worthy. Paul says to the church in Philippi, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, whatever happens. So Paul is in prison. Most likely the book of Philippians was written while Paul was in prison in Rome. And when Paul was in prison in Rome, he did not get out of prison with his life. He was killed in Rome. And so what Paul is saying is whatever happens to me. If I get out or if I don't, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you see a horrible injustice occur to somebody you love, or if that person is delivered from that trial, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you see the evil of this world fall on someone you care about, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, whatever happens. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Now this is talking about living a life worthy of the gospel in the face of struggle, opposition, and suffering. It's not always easy. It can be very difficult. Let's, Read the next few verses, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, in Philippi, Paul was beaten. The jailer that was—you know—the the chains fell off and the shook. That was in Philippi. There were people who opposed them. Don't be frightened in any way. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. Uh, If we stand for our faith, will we be opposed? Does that scare you? I tell you, it makes me uncomfortable when I stand in a situation where people don't like me because of my faith. And in today's world, people make assumptions about other people a lot more so than I think they used to. Uh, maybe it's a social media thing, it's just the way that we interact with information, but people make assumptions about other people, and when they find out I'm a preacher, then they have certain assumptions they make about me, about what I think politically, what I think about uh, various people in the culture. They have certain opinions about what they think I think, and they're convinced of it. And then they have to get to know me, because I'm different than what they thought. But, but, We're not to be frightened by those who oppose us. When we stand in a situation now, Peter was not frightened in Acts chapter 2. He was frightened on the crucifixion day. In Acts chapter 2, he wasn't frightened. What was the difference? Well, he'd seen the resurrected Christ. That makes a difference. When the mob kills Jesus and then he comes back to life and you go, oh, that's what he was talking about. Then it makes you think, okay, death has been conquered. The worst thing these people can do to me is send me to heaven and give me a better resurrection. That's the worst thing they can do to me. And then it gets less scary. You know, it's uh, You know, I don't want to undercut this. It, it's very uncomfortable to be in situations where people don't like you. But when we stand strong in confidence of what God has for us, then it shows something to other people. Last couple of verses, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Yay. But here's the deal. We can suffer for Christ in a manner worthy of the gospel. Or not. We can go through terrible physical problems in a manner worthy of the gospel. We can go through persecution and resistance and people's junk in a manner worthy of the gospel or not. Verse 30, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So the Philippians are going through the same struggle Paul had there and that Paul has now, which is imprisonment, persecution, and, and trouble. And he's saying, walk through the trial in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people don't get healed. They don't get set free. They don't get delivered from the circumstance, but they walk through it nobly before God. And it brings something up inside of other people as they see them suffer and love Jesus in the middle of it. People think, man. I was mad because it was raining and I had to walk 50 feet through the rain to go to church. I almost drove by and went home into my garage. And then you see somebody battling through something terrible. And it it picks you up because they're doing it in a manner worthy of the gospel. Rise up. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. And we pray. Let's start in verse 9. I'm sorry. Let's, uh, we'll just jump into that. Verse 9. So Paul here, (laughs) writing to the church in Colossae. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We've been praying for you and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. We're praying for you so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Is it? possible for us to live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the Lord, worthy of being associated with almighty God as a Christian. Is it possible for us to live a worthy life? I love asking that question because I get yeses. I get noes. I get, uh, because Romans Um, 3.23 is still true. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Paul is saying, be worthy of the call, be worthy of your Lord that you call on his name and people know you're a follower of him. Be worthy of that and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Both true. So we need to realize we're still imperfect people. We need to bear with one another But we also need to rise up into, we're called up into living a life worthy of the calling that we have because Romans 3.24 is also true and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the believers who trust in the Lord are justified. Yes, fallen short and justified and redeemed by Christ picked up into being able to live a life worthy of the call. Let's go back to uh, Colossians 1. I'm not sure where we're at. Are we on verse 11? Let's go to verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. I'm going to invite the ushers up. We're going to take communion. um, So you can start handing out the communion elements. I love this verse. Giving thanks to the father who has qualified you. So if you're going to live a life worthy of the calling, do you qualify yourself? Do you prove yourself and you step up yourself God qualifies us. He justifies us. He picks us up. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Let's read the next couple of verses. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. This is rise up out of the junk holding you down. I don't know what's holding you down. I don't know if it's fear and anxiety. Go ahead and start handing out the elements. I don't know if it's fear and anxiety. I don't know if there's a sin that's gripped you that you're trying to get free from. I don't know what's holding you down. If it's a lie that you believe. But our God has set us free. From the dominion of darkness. Believe that and step into the kingdom of the Son of God. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A good hope if you'd like to receive communion, you are free to do so, whoever you are. The only thing I ask is that you don't take communion because everybody else is, but that you make it real between you and God. What we are doing is we are remembering, we are honoring what Jesus has done on the cross. That on the day of his crucifixion, he was beaten and by his stripes, we are healed. We celebrate healing through Christ and by his blood, we are forgiven. His shed blood brings forgiveness. So we see healing and forgiveness in Jesus' sacrifice on the day of the crucifixion. And that is where redemption comes, the forgiveness of sins. And again, we are forgiven However, Jesus didn't just forgive, he redeemed. He paid the price because the justice of God demanded that the wages of sin is death, because God's plan is to have an eternal kingdom full of creative, free-willed, awesome beings, great people who and where there's no pain, no suffering, no death, there's no evil of any kind. So anytime there's evil and darkness that comes in, it must be eradicated to protect. God's eternal kingdom. So the wages of sin is death. So Jesus paid the price. He paid the death that our sins may be forgiven and we may be redeemed. That's what we remember when we receive communion. It's a holy, honoring thing. i have got one more thing I want to mention. We've been talking a lot today about living a life worthy, worthy of Christ, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling. Last thought of the day. I want this to sink in. Jesus sees you as worth it. Jesus would not have gone to the cross if you weren't worth going to the cross to him. Jesus would not have been scourged if you weren't worth being scourged for to him. Jesus sees you as worth it. You are worth redeeming. You are worth justifying. You are worth loving. You are worth forgiving. You are worth setting free. You are worth being healed. You are worth being empowered. You are worth being provided for. You are worth it in Jesus' eyes. When we receive communion, we see the evidence of what God thinks of you. You are worth it to him to be redeemed. So as we receive this morning, I want it to sink in in your heart that Almighty God sees you as worth redeeming. You are worth it. You are worth this sacrifice to Jesus. If you can get that in your heart fully, you will understand your relationship with God so much more powerfully. So let's pray together then we'll receive together, and then I'll open up the front for personal prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord, that the weak are made strong, that the sinner is made righteous. Lord, that we who are unworthy are made worthy by you, that you qualify us when we have disqualified ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for the thing I don't understand that you saw each one of us as worth it. Thank you for that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Lord Jesus, we will not forget what you've done. We will honor you for what you've done. We will strive to live a life worthy of what you've done. We give you praise. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ, which was broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ, which was shed for you. Oh, Father, we honor you here in this place. We give you praise. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that when we walk through the storm, we could walk through it in a manner worthy of the gospel. Lord, I pray that your joy would be upon us, like Peter who faced the hostile crowd that he ran from weeks before, but Instead, he was filled with joy, knowing the truth of the resurrection and the power that you have for everlasting life. Let us be filled with that joy, knowing we have an inheritance in you. We are co-heirs with Christ. And Father, let us know your love to its fullness so that we can share your love with others. Lord, bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.